anchored shooter. We have an anchored shooter inside the fairgrounds. Welcome to Active Shooter, a podcast that covers the whys, the hows, and the aftermath of active shooter and mass casualty events. They have an active shooter in the building. A second call says they uh, are being attacked. I've been shot. One six nine ten means we got shots fired. Four fifteen ASF. Route ninety one sounded like an automatic firearm. Thank you for listening. Active shooter. Reports of an active shooter. Active shooter. Active shooter of mass casualty incidents. You are listening to Active Shooter, a podcast that may contain adult themes, explicit language, and graphic depictions of violence. Portions of this show may be traumatic for those under 18. Listener discretion is advised. We start tonight with the story that sent a chill through parents today. Parents who send their kids to school, trusting and hoping that they'll be safe. But in one of those schools, a high school in Ohio today, the worst happened. The police say a student opened fire on classmates, leaving one dead and four others wounded, two of them in critical condition. It happened at Chardon High School, 30 miles south of Cleveland. The alleged shooter is a teenage boy said to be in custody tonight. We have late word from law enforcement sources that a day or two ago, he told his classmates something of his plans, but those classmates didn't take him seriously. There's been a lot of debate about whether a person can die from a broken heart. Medical professionals have coined it broken heart syndrome, an event that happens in one's life that is so tragic and causes so much grief that it can kill the person who experiences it. Russell King Sr., the father of one of the victims that died in the shooting we will be covering today, died exactly two years after the death of his son. He died peacefully in his sleep, closing his eyes the night before and simply never waking up. Those that were close to Russell say that he was so affected by his son's death, he literally died of a broken heart. If you've listened to our prior episodes, you know that the Active Shooter podcast team has taken the No Notoriety Pledge, and we will not be sharing the real name of the shooters that we cover. We will be giving the shooters a pseudonym, and refer to them by that name throughout the episode. This will help in clearing up any confusion in the story while remaining true to our pledge in not naming the shooter by their actual name. In today's episode, we will be referring to the shooter as Oliver. On February 27, 2012, Oliver rode the bus to Chardon High School at around 7 a.m., just like he did every weekday morning. He was going to the school where he would wait in the cafeteria for the bus to come and pick him up and take him to his school called Lake Academy which was an alternative school for at-risk youth. There were also students that would wait in the cafeteria for another bus to pick them up and take them to Auburn Career Center to take additional vocational classes. Upon arriving at the school, Oliver went into the cafeteria to wait for the bus to come and pick him up. Surveillance cameras in the school show Oliver sitting at a table by himself, wearing a shirt that said, Killer, in block letters across the front. It was about 7.30 in the morning. While Oliver was sitting at the table, he seemed to be paying special attention to a table nearby, 
watching the boys at the table telling jokes and sharing stories. Oliver is then seen standing up and going to a different table that was right next to one of the boys. Oliver is then seen standing up and going to a different table that was right next to the one the boys were sitting at. While sitting at the table, he has a calm demeanor and doesn't act panicked or upset. Seemingly out of nowhere, he reaches into his backpack, pulls out a 22 millimeter handgun and a knife, and immediately starts shooting. First, he shoots Russell King Jr. in the head. Demetrius Hewlin and Daniel Parmenter quickly followed as well as other students who may have been in the line of fire. The gunshots created utter panic in the cafeteria at Chardon High School. You see glances of your friends laying all over the place. There's blood, there's people screaming, everybody's running in different directions, and you're just trying to get out. While everyone was running for their lives, Nicholas Walzak was limping down the cafeteria, trying to escape from the chaos. Oliver saw Nick in the hallway and ran up to him, put the gun behind Nick's head, right at his neck, and pulled the trigger. After shooting Nick, Oliver flees the cafeteria, but not before shooting Joy Rickers, who was also running for her life. I saw a kid holding a gun, pointing it towards a group of kids, and getting ready to press the trigger. I looked up, and then he shot two more, and it hit a group. It hit a kid, and he fell, and another kid was hiding under the table for cover. I never looked at his face. I just looked at the gun. I still can't think about it all, because it's just so scary. As Oliver was running, homeroom teacher and football coach Frank Hall saw the shooter in the hallway. Mr. Hall risked his life and chased the shooter out of the school. Oliver never fired a single shot at him. I don't know why this happened. I only wish I could have done more. I'm not a hero. Just a football coach and a study hall teacher. I'm here to tell you that tomorrow our schools will be open. Oliver would tell investigators later that he fired about 10 rounds and realized he needed to reload his gun, so he fled from the cafeteria. Math teacher Joe Ricci had heard the gunshots and ordered all of his students on lockdown. While he and his students were transitioning into lockdown mode, Mr. Ricci heard a moaning noise outside of his classroom door. Mr. Ricci put on a bulletproof vest that he had on hand for this exact situation, opened the door, and pulled Nick Walzak inside of the classroom. Once Nick was inside, Mr. Ricci could see that Nick was in critical condition and needed help quickly. He administered first aid to Nick until medics arrived. I hate you for the pain you have caused, Nick. You chased him down the hall and fired the last bullet that paralyzed him. You're lucky I have to read this because I'd be staring at you the whole time. Why? Why did you do it? Why? Nick is a very kind and loving. Why would you want to hurt him? You, you don't know kind. You're evil. I will have to eventually forgive you. Otherwise, you will haunt me. You will never, ever be in my thoughts after this. Never. My family will move on, not you. You have ruined your life, not to mention Adam's. He even gave you a ride. Nick even gave you a ride from school. He was thinking about inviting you back to that, to that table because he felt sorry for you. I feel sorry for you. 
I have watched my son suffer daily, every hour, every minute. But we will always remember that someone tried to kill five people, and all they did was go, want to go to school. So many people have been affected by your decision. Your family, all of our families. Nick is an amazing person. He is strong and he's a survivor and will continue on with his life. You won't. And to Tom and Sarah, the sperm donor and egg donor, I went to school with you both. Why pick drugs over your kids? <sighs> Judge Fury, please don't ever let him on the streets. He is dangerous and has caused way too much pain. Thank you. Hi, Chardon High School, we had shots fired, gun shots, multiple gunshots. Hey, this is uh, Principal Chardon again. Yeah, go ahead. Hey, um, the alleged shooter ran out the back door down the uh, the easement towards the tennis courts past the pool. Towards tennis courts. Okay. All right. Okay. Do you have any description of clothing? We have white t-shirt, shaggy dark hair, tall skinny. Shaggy dark hair. Okay. We have a name that we think. Is that Yep. About 10 minutes after the shooting, Oliver was found sitting on the side of the road with the gun and knife on the ground next to him. He was calm and unemotional when the officer put handcuffs on his wrist and placed him under arrest. Daniel Parmiter was pronounced dead on February 27, 2012, the same day as the shooting, at around noon. It was a call. And I had Danny's picture on it on my cell phone, so I said, oh, he's calling me. It's okay. And I answered, and it, it was commotion, and it was some Kirtland fire chief or something, I don't know. And he said, Danny is being life-flighted to Metro Hospital right now. You have to go to Metro. I said, I want to talk to him. Let me talk to him. Well, they're still doing CPR on him. It has two on his throat. It's bloody. Oh, we were yelling at him. Fight. Right. Fight. 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 He hurt us. He tried. He did. He tried. He did. He said, don't go, Danny, don't go. Don't go. He fought. But he, uh, he fought. But he just didn't, he just didn't have it. no brain waves left. Russell King Jr. was taken to Metro Health Medical Center and was pronounced brain dead. The next day, February 28th, at 12.42 a.m., he was pronounced dead. Also, on the following day, Demetrius Hewlin was pronounced dead, making the death count three precious teenagers who were taken from us far too soon. Chardon High School is located in Chardon, Ohio, which is in Geauga County. Chardon is a small town of only about 5,100 people and is located about 30 miles northeast of Cleveland. Chardon is only about 10 miles south of Lake Erie and is located in the snowbelt area of Ohio due to the lake effect snow that it receives from Lake Erie. 
The small town receives significant snowfall every winter. Chardon was named after Peter Chardon Brooks, who donated the land to build the historic area called Chardon Courthouse Square. On July 24th and 25th, 1868, a large fire destroyed the downtown Chardon Square area. The courthouse, post office, and many stores were destroyed. It didn't take long, though, for the Chardon Square to be rebuilt. Chardon is also known as the maple syrup capital of Ohio, and there is also a big celebration when the maple tree sap gets to the correct thawing temperature and residents can begin tapping for sap. This iconic day is referred to as Tapping Sunday. The three victims in this case, Daniel, Russell, and Demetrius, were all taken from this world far, far too soon. All three were teenagers who had a long life ahead of them to live, had their lives not been cut so quickly. Daniel Parmeter was born on September 9, 1995, making him 16 years old at the time of his death. In Cleveland, Ohio, Daniel, or Danny as he was better known, had big dreams of becoming a computer technician, or perhaps a career in snowboarding. He absolutely loved going skiing and snowboarding with his friends. Teachers loved having Danny in their class, as he was always so respectful and quiet, not to mention focused on his schoolwork. He had an older brother and a younger sister whom he enjoyed spending time with. Danny enjoyed playing Xbox and computer games. He also enjoyed going to a local restaurant for wing night with his friends to eat chicken wings. Danny was simply just fun to be around, and it was easy to feed off of his energy. You murdered my son, Danny. You are a killer. You're a pathetic excuse for a human being. In fact, you're not even a human being. You don't deserve to be called human. You're a monster and will forever be titled a triple murderer. I have many more words I wish I could say that, I, that would express my pure disgust and hatred for you. But unlike you, as we've seen today, I obey the law. That's why I'm standing here, a free person, something you will never be. I hope you have a cold, rough, unkind, harsh prison life with monsters like yourself. I want you to endure years and years of pain and abuse, which is, in my opinion, not harsh enough. If I had my choice, you would die an extremely slow, torturous death. You don't deserve to take another breath while my 16-year-old son Danny lies in the cold ground because of your disgusting, selfish, and cowardly actions. You need to spend the rest of your life in prison with monsters like yourself. You're a weak, pathetic, vile coward. We'll be right back after these short messages. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. Ace is the only national retailer that carries Benjamin Moore paint, which means the paint you trust and a huge selection of colors are right in your neighborhood. And this Saturday only, you can pick up a free sample of Benjamin Moore at your local Ace. It's a great way to explore quality colors and find the perfect one for your place. So if you're looking for award-winning service and a new look for your home, look no further than Benjamin Moore paint at Ace. Offer valid August 1st for Ace Rewards members. Limit one at participating stores while supplies last. Russell King Jr. was born on August 12, 1994, in Clarendon Township, and had been a lifelong resident of Chardon, Ohio. He enjoyed his job at Amberwood Kennels, where he would take care of the dogs at the kennels and help around on the property. If there was a job to be done, Russell was the person to take care of it. 
He also worked part-time at Pinnacle Woods and enjoyed his job there. Russell was an avid outdoorsman and enjoyed anything and everything you could do outside. Hunting, fishing, camping, and canoeing, just to name a few. Just like Danny, Russell was someone who loved being around his family. Russell's father, referenced in the beginning of this episode, passed away peacefully in his sleep on the two-year anniversary of his son's death. His friends and family say that he died from a broken heart and are at peace knowing that he is again with his son. As you can see, to us, the defendant no longer has a name. To us, he is a shooter who stole my loving brother Russell away from us. He's the evil, disgusting animal that took a gun into a place that is supposed to be safe and murdered three amazing, handsome, funny, smart boys who were loved by so many people. He's the monster that injured three others and hurt thousands more with his actions. Your Honor, the defendant, the shooter, took so much away from so many people. I strongly feel that he deserves to spend the rest of his life in prison without any option of parole. No one should be able to take the lives of three young men who are doing what they were supposed to and get a second chance. Also, I would like to mention one last thing. A few weeks prior to the shooting, Russell told one of his close friends that he wanted to start hanging out with the shooter again. He told his friend that they used to be friends and grew apart over the years. I hope that is something the shooter will never forget. He wanted to be his friend. He felt, he felt sorry for him. Thank you. Demetrius Hewlin was born on March 8, 1995, and had lived in Chardon for 10 years prior to the murder. He was only 16 years old when he was killed. Demetrius, who simply went by D, was always late for school. His mother said that he had never been a morning person, and he always had trouble getting to school on time. One of the few days that D was not only on time, but early, D had a brother and a sister, and was interested in healthy living and bodybuilding. He went to the weight room at school at least five times a week and enjoyed working out while also spending time with his friends. He was trying hard to make it onto the school's football team. When he wasn't working out, Dee was playing video games, reading, or listening to music. He also donated his time to the Habitat for Humanity resale shop. I will miss Demetrius, and I have enough memories to last me a lifetime. That child stole my baby's life and he should never be able to do this to anyone ever again. Thank you. Dee's mom reported that they had donated Dee's organs. One of his organs saved a child that was just days away from his death had they not received a transplant. It's really hard to figure out the, how I should feel about us, all this when they were all my friends. Oliver was born on September 9th, 1994, and was 17 years old when he committed the shooting. He was a sophomore at Lake Academy, along with about 55 other students. Oliver had a very hard upbringing, at least in the beginning. We never saw them playing. Never saw them behaving like children. The house had been turned into something that looked like a, a jail cell. His parents had never married and were in and out of jail for their entire relationship. In 1995, Oliver's father requested emergency custody of him due to his mom's severe alcohol issues. She was a very aggressive person, and was even more aggressive when she was drinking. When drunk, it was hard for her to control her anger issues. Both his mother and father had been arrested for domestic violence multiple times. Reports show that during one of their fights, his mother had punched and bit his father. On another occasion, his father was charged with resisting and obstructing an officer that was attempting to intervene on a domestic violence altercation. 
After his mother and father split up, his father spent time in and out of prison for other assaultive crimes. He was sent to prison for beating and kidnapping a woman. In 1997, he was charged with pushing a woman and threatening to kill her. He did prison time again for holding one of his wife's heads under running water and smashing her head against the wall, leaving a hole there. In 2002, he was sent back to prison for verbally and physically attacking a woman for nine hours in the presence of three children. It is unknown whether Oliver was one of the children that witnessed the attack. His father was charged with attempted murder and felonious assault. Many of the people that grew up with Oliver knew him as a nice kid who was easy to talk to. While Oliver's parents were very violent, it didn't appear that Oliver himself was a violent child. He wasn't terrorizing animals or bullying other children like some other shooters we have covered on this podcast. Some reports say that students bullied Oliver, while others said this simply wasn't true. He wasn't always like that. Um, I remember middle school, he had a lot of friends. Since freshman year, you know, um, I would go into the cafeteria, he'd be sitting there, you know, by himself and everything. And, you know, I, I feel like I failed as a friend because I should have, you know, at least gone up to him and said, like, you know, like, how was your day? Like, how are you doing and everything? He had many friends, and though he may have been quiet and kept to himself, he didn't create any trouble for anyone. Neighbors from the area Oliver grew up in said that he was a normal kid who enjoyed playing in the snow with his sister, riding his bike, and swimming in his grandparents' pool. He was a good student in school, and he, he just like turned goth and like his grades started dropping. Oliver had posted several threats on his Facebook page that were overlooked by others and were never reported. Listen as Rudy from the True Crime Lab podcast reads a small portion of one of the posts Oliver had posted on his Facebook page on December 30th, 2011. He was better than the rest, all those ones he detests, within their castles so vain, selfish and conceited. They couldn't care less about the peasants they mistreated. They were in their own world. It was a joyous one, too. Now, feel death, not just mocking you, not just stalking you, but inside of you. Wriggle and writhe, feel smaller beneath my night. Die, all of you. While Oliver tended to stay out of trouble while growing up, his brother would go in and out of the criminal justice system. He had been arrested for numerous, various charges throughout his adult life, including disorderly conduct, theft, abuse of prescription medications, and heroin use. His brother had even overdosed on heroin and other medications on many occasions. It didn't take long for the prosecutor's office to decide to charge Oliver as an adult instead of a juvenile. On February 8, 2013, a competency evaluation was ordered by the court to see if Oliver was competent to stand trial. On February 26, 2013, he was found competent. Later that same day, a written guilty plea was filed with the court. Oliver was pleading guilty to all charges. Since he was pleading guilty to all the charges, and saving the town and victims the hardship of a trial, the death penalty was taken off the table. During the pendency of his court case, Oliver had actually had two competency evaluations. During the first exam, he told the examiner that he had heard voices, having anxiety and was scared of losing his mind. 
He also told the examiner that when he was younger, he had been molested. During the second exam, he told the doctor that he had lied about everything during the first exam. He had never heard voices, and that he was trying to appear schizophrenic. He thought it wouldn't hurt to try and come across as schizophrenic. Oliver also admitted that he had lied about being sexually molested. Oliver's sentencing was set for March 19, 2013. When he came into the courtroom, he looked like a normal teenager, wearing a blue button-up and collared shirt. Court video shows Oliver speaking with his attorney, and while doing so, he is unbuttoning his shirt to reveal a white t-shirt with the word killer handwritten with black marker on the front, much like the shirt he had worn on the day of the shooting. During the sentencing, while the victim's families were making their victim impact statements, Oliver continuously smirked and smiled as the families spoke about their grief and sadness. It certainly wasn't a time to be laughing. When it came time for Oliver to make a statement, his defense attorney tried to insist he not do so. If he were to make a statement and admit guilt, his statement could be used if he had decided to appeal the case in the Court of Appeals. Oliver didn't take his attorney's advice and decided to speak. He didn't stand up, however. He stayed seated in his chair, turned to the victim's families, held up his middle finger and said, This hand that pulled the trigger that killed your son now masturbates to the memory. Fuck you all. It goes without saying that Oliver had no remorse for the crimes he had committed. Oliver's behavior didn't anything but improve when he went to prison. He was housed at the Allen Correctional Institution and was written up for many infractions that he had done while in prison. He was written up for tattooing himself, refusing to do schoolwork in his education classes, urinating on a building wall, and going out of bounds. He took it one step further, and on September 11, 2014, Oliver and two other men had successfully escaped the prison walls. The prison that he was housed in was a minimum and medium secure facility. The men had been outside during their recreation time when they scaled the fence and escaped. Upon hearing that Oliver had escaped, the Chardon High School closed their classes for the day as to not cause any panic in the school. About five hours later, Oliver was captured by state troopers, hiding only about 100 yards from the prison. He spoke with one of the corrections officers. He advised that the two that were trying to track down are both been on life. They've got nothing to lose here, so be alert. Which inmate? I believe it's the young one. He's in custody. He had a pitchfork with him when he was captured, but police didn't know where he got this pitchfork, and it had never been used as a weapon by Oliver. The two other men were also apprehended shortly after they had escaped. After they were recaptured, all three men were transferred to a maximum secure facility. The day after the escape, extra razor wire was added to the fencing area. Obviously, I'm not happy that it's happened. I mean, no warden in my position would like something like this to happen. But the facts are, uh, I'm happy to announce that we have uh, Mr. back in our custody. He did uh, scale the, our perimeter fence, and again, this is an ongoing investigation. Sometime later, it had gotten out that the guards had actually had a chance to stop the escape from happening. A map was found in a cell the day before the escape, but nothing was ever done about it to further secure the prison. If the guards had taken the map seriously, perhaps a lot of panic could have been spared. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Active Shooter, the podcast. Remember, if you see something, say something. 
There's no telling how many lives you may be saving. A huge shout out to Ryan from the True Crime Lab podcast for reading one of the shooter's Facebook posts. You can find True Crime Lab on your favorite podcast player. Make sure to check us out on social media. We have a discussion group on Facebook. Just search for Active Shooter, the podcast discussion group. You can also find us on Instagram at Active the Podcast and Twitter at Podcast Active. For just $1 a month, you can get access to ad-free episodes, early release episodes, and a shout-out on the show. Just go to www.patreon.com slash active the podcast. Thank you, and be safe. With the new iPhone SE for less than 100 bucks at Metro, you rule. It's the most affordable iPhone on the number one brand in prepaid. So whether you're studying online or FaceTiming, Hey, Mom. Hi, dear. The iPhone SE has all you need. Switch to Metro and get the iPhone SE for $99.99 after rebate redemption and six months of service with AutoPay. Metro by T-Mobile. Rule your day. Limit one per account slash household. Requires port and ID validation. Not valid for numbers currently on the T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Restrictions apply. See store for details. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. Ace is the only national retailer that carries Benjamin Moore paint, which means the paint you trust and a huge selection of colors are right in your neighborhood. And this Saturday only, you can pick up a free sample of Benjamin Moore at your local Ace. It's a great way to explore quality colors and find the perfect one for your place. So if you're looking for award-winning service and a new look for your home, Look no further than Benjamin Moore Paint at Ace. Offer valid August 1st for Ace Rewards members. Limit one at participating stores while supplies last.